Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. We are hunters, anglers, riders, and sometimes chefs. Our passion for the outdoor lifestyle motivated the foundation of Harvesting Nature, which serves as a media outlet built to inspire and educate the outdoor expert, and novice alike. Our podcast focuses on the technical side of cooking wild fish and game while also incorporating adventures and lessons learned from our pursuit of wild meat. Join us on our journey of harvesting nature. Everyone, uh, welcome back to the Harvesting Nature Wild Fish and Game podcast, uh, episode 14 here. Uh, We're really excited to talk some more hunting, fishing, cooking wild game got a another great guest for you here i'll let him uh introduce himself yeah thank you i'm uh, i'm glad to join you guys we've been talking to each other for years now and it's nice to sit down and do a show I, i'm brad luttrell i'm the co-founder and ceo of go wild we're a social media app that i'm sure we'll end up talking a little bit about at some point tonight uh, i'm also the host since we got i don't always pitch my podcast but since we're on a podcast and uh, naturally people listening to this also like other podcasts, I would assume I, uh, I'm the host of Restless Native, which is a a podcast about hunting, fishing, cooking, basically whatever I feel like it should be about that <laughs> week. But uh, <laughs> that's my story. We, we'll get into the rest of it after uh, a couple more sips of the mint julep. <laughs> <laughs> it's a... Uh... We were talking earlier. It's 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 race season there, isn't it? Oh, yeah, really? it's a it's a funny. I'll 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 extend my intro with my mint julep story. I, you know, you guys all cook. When you go to the store, typically, if you buy mint, it's usually in a small like it's not like this giant asparagus size roll of mint. Uh, but in Kentucky, there's there's a couple weeks a year where if you buy mint, the only option is is like walking out with a log of mint. So I not only um, not only was it Derby season, but I was making a, a pho, which I always want to call pho. I'm am from Appalachia, so my uh, 
I, I always screw up how I say everything according to my wife. I think it's pho. I just know it tastes really good. It's actually a recipe that Danielle Pruitt did for you guys uh, way back in the day. Uh, oh, yeah. Like, That's yeah, a good but, Yeah. Dude. Oh, yeah. So I use the mint in that recipe, though. And so I've, like, I've been going through it. But it, it's literally a log of, of mint. So t- tonight I went to, you know, it's like uh, Justin, we said earlier, nighttime podcast, a lot of times you're inclined to maybe have a drink after a mm-hmm. long day. Um, I mean, I'm going to end up working a long day today uh, by the time this is all said and done. So I was like, I'll get a drink. And then I saw the mint and I was like, well, you got to do the mint julep if you have that much mint still in there. I mean, still look, you can't tell I've used any of it. So I think <laughs> so here we are. You're really doing your part to uh, to keep the environment intact. I mean, you can't yeah. let it go to waste. No, no, it doesn't go to waste, so I'm trying. <laughs> if we have to pause and do a refill later, you know, that's what it is. It was the intermission. <laughs> yeah, I've done it. I've, it's happened. <laughs> All right, well, uh, I'm Colin. Hello again. I'm uh, just a privileged guest. Brad, glad to have you on here. I actually, uh, as soon as Justin told me that we were going to be uh, interviewing you, or having you on the podcast, uh, went and downloaded your app. I think I got one of your personalized, this might be automated message from you, but uh, the, hey, the f- <laughs> it's nice nice to be welcomed. <laughs> the, the, all right, listen, I'll say the first one is automated. The second one, when I actually follow up to your response, that's really me. So. All right, so now i got to respond to it too because i got okay, another guys. one also. <laughs> but uh, now from what I've seen so far, um, exploring the app and everything, it looks like it's pretty good, uh, pretty good platform. And uh, I'm excited to talk about it later and see what your what your thoughts are and the foundations are behind it. Awesome, Colin. I will have to say though, you're you're coming on here so frequently now. We're we're gonna have to move you from the guest status over to the the co-host status at some point. Oh man, I don't mind privileged guests, you know, co-hosts, whatever whatever you feel <laughs> is fitting. We'll we'll see, we'll All see right. how it goes. All right, <laughs> Corey. This is Corey. I'm managing editor of harvesting nature um brad and i hooked up because i sent a random email when he was first launching go wild so he and i have worked together on a a few few things few projects some i've done a couple articles for go wild and i think i've i use go wild more than most of the other social media apps that are out there i i don't know i don't know what where i'm at as far as compared to other people but i have over ten thousand points on go wild so that is a very good score that's very good uh cory i'll say changed my life when he submitted his um article the of, of how to structure your wild game in your freezer and i still use a version of his system today and I, I can only imagine how much wild game I have saved from busting. Because you guys know, like, if when you're digging through, okay, this might just be me, but, like, the problem it solves is when you're digging through, you're throwing stuff everywhere, and you end up, you know, with this, this mess of, uh, you don't know where anything is, but you also end up busting the packaging if you're doing, um, you know, plastic the the shrink uh, vacuum sealed so if you're doing freezer paper not as big of a problem but like vacuum sealed stuff tends to bust as you move it around Corey's system of like bagging it by uh, cut and and type awesome system that I still use so thank you no for problem. that Corey <laughs> oh nice we're gonna have to talk more about this system uh, in detail on a yeah. later uh, a later episode or even later today who knows um, I I I think it's a uh I think it's published on Harvesting Nature that that 
uh, piece I put together. I used the system today. Pulled out a couple canvas bags to get to the particular one that I wanted and brought it upstairs. Well, I guess now that we're on it, we may as well just dive into it. So yeah, what's that's, that's where we're going with it, right? What's yeah. what's the technique? Well, I have I have two chest freezers in my basement, and I tend to accumulate a good amount of wild game, um, deer and turkey and perch and steelhead and walleye, goose, duck, and all that. But so it. it it can, and especially in chest freezers where it's just like you open it up and you just dump it all in, it can get pretty disorganized. So what I do is uh, I get those canvas shopping bags and I put um, either specific cuts or, or uh, you know, organize them somehow. So a lot of times my sausage in one, you know, burger in another, all like uh, the roast or something in another. And I organize it and put it in canvas bags. And then I have a whiteboard that I attach to the top of my freezer. And I say, this bag has this cut and or how many, this many packages of this cut. That way I, I know I can look at my inventory, figure out what I want for dinner. And then, and I know what bag it's in and I can move stuff out of the way quickly, grab what I want and put it back in quickly. Because like Brad was saying, you know, if you just have it all in there, it's like an avalanche of of frozen meat and it just I end up swearing and throwing stuff and getting upset so. <laughs> Dude, uh, something else that I integrate with your system I don't do the whiteboard thing that's the next step I mean just bagging it by cut made a world of difference for me like I have all my organ meat in one I have my uh, what in my head are like your most desirable cuts. So I put my backstrap, my high quality hams in one bag. And then I kind of have like a third or fourth bag of, um, that depending on what's in there at the time, I kind of end up prioritizing. Sometimes it's, uh, like cubed up meat that I'll use for, you know, various, uh, maybe like Chinese food or something. If I'm gonna do a stir fry, the other thing I do that Jeremiah Dowdy taught me, um, and it's so stupid, simple. You guys probably already do this. You're smarter than me. Uh, but the, you know, burger meat, a lot of people will lump it together and it ends up being this softball size, one pound thing of, of uh, a grind that you made. And uh, I was, I went to Texas and hunted with Jeremiah and we were butchering my deer and he, he takes a one pound ball and then smashes it down and makes it a flat sheet that you mm -hmm. can freeze and and you can stack those and there's a couple of different benefits to beyond just stacking though they freeze faster which is obviously better for the meat um, but then also when you get them out i mean dude like the thaw time is nil because it's not going down to that core it's a nice even thaw um totally changed my game on on grind too uh in fact somebody gave me some uh grind from another animal and it was like balled up how i used to do it and i was like oh my god what an archaic way to do this is <laughs> <laughs> <was> barbarians <laughs> you know? i uh, it i makes... actually think i've talked to jeremiah about that freezing method um yeah, yeah it, a while it ago. makes a quick yeah. quick yeah, dinner dude. like you don't know what you want for dinner and just thaw that meat out real quick that's been my go-to with steaks so i got talking about organizing um i've got all so i have a small it's like mm, one of the 
more cube-looking freezers. It's not huge. Uh, but I rotate meats from that freezer into my, uh, like, over-the-fridge freezer. So whatever I'm going to use, say, for this week or in the next two weeks, I'll pull, uh, say, like, Sunday, I'll pull all the meat. I'll put what I want to thaw out for the first couple of days, and then I'll put the others in the freezer above the fridge. And that way, when I, you know, go to get ice or something, I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm uh I'm gonna make that tonight. Yeah. I'm gonna make this tonight, and then I'll pull it. But um, I actually got that makes a lot of sense. Not organizing as much by cuts. I I did uh I had my all my deer steaks and deer loin in one basket, and then below it I had all my antelope steaks, and I was blowing through my venison, and I was like, wait a minute, and I slide the basket over, and it's like piled high. With antelope steaks, and I was like, "Well, I guess we're eating antelope for the rest of the year." Yeah, good, good problem yeah. to have. But I think maybe following Corey's method of, uh, I like the thought of the whiteboard on the top. Yeah, the whiteboard yeah, but- on the top, and then organizing by cuts makes a lot of sense too. But, you know, because a lot of times it doesn't necessarily matter if I've got, you know, um, whatever it is, something from an elk, or uh, you know, you're you're using a red meat to make a recipe. If you want to make mm-hmm. something with a grind, it doesn't matter. It, I mean, in somewhat it does, but it, a lot, most of the time it doesn't. Um, you know, cut made, like, it totally changed my world. Because I literally was the guy going through, and I have a giant chest freezer too, and I could fit multiple human bodies in this thing. I mean, it's massive. <laughs> uh, I would never do that. I'm just using that for an example. <laughs> um, but it is so huge, and... You know, at the bottom of it, I find things that have been there for years. It's, and so, Corey's, it's definitely changed my game. The bottom of mine is all pork butts that I found on sale. My uh, local grocery store, one time a year, puts pork butts on sale for like literally 89, 99 cents a pound. And I buy about 60 pounds of pork butt for the year, or 60 to 90 is kind of my sweet spot. Um, and I end up, that's what I'll smoke. Cause I, I don't hunt hogs like a, a lot of the, the Texas guys, if you got anybody listening to that. So, mm-hmm. um, and my family, um, extended family, everybody loves my pork butts. So, uh, I do it on a big green egg, got a whole, like, that's definitely probably the thing I make best. Um, which is kind of shameful cause it's not that hard. Anybody can do it, but I mean, it's definitely the best meal off the egg. Um, but so like the, the base of my freezer is a good foot of just pork butts. There's just, <laughs> and I write the year on them <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> How many do you think you go through a year? Um, if I buy 90 pounds of pork butts, that's probably about a dozen. Cause you, the, the, there'll be some that are smaller in the six mm-hmm. to seven pound range. I'm, I like to go in and I buy the biggest freaking pork butts I can find. Um, they, you know, you're, they take a little bit longer to cook, but for, like once you make a pork butt, you can throw that in your freezer in the kitchen, and you know, boom, you know, we got two pounds of pulled pork that was frozen and already cooked. Like that's a great leftover, and then you can do, you can do barbecue sandwiches, or you can do tacos. Like there's so much flexibility in, in oh, pulled yeah. meats like that. That's like that uh, the turkey legs. I mean, I um the first turkey leg off my turkey this season, I made um. I made a pulled barbecue out of it, and then you turn around and make the pho from Danielle's. Like those pulled meats are just so diverse. You know, you can really get creative with how you use them. So I go to town on the pork butts, and then just repurpose. I, I do pizzas with them. 
I'll throw it on top as a pizza and make a barbecue pizza with some red onion and, um, you know, uh, green pepper. Oh, my God. So good. Making me hungry. Good pizza. I, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you guys got to eat before. That's the rule. I did. I'm still hungry. <laughs> I'm just chewing on mint leaves over here. <laughs> <laughs> I was saying, uh, thinking, so the, with those, like, any of the pooled meats recipes, like, as long as you've got your method down as sort of preparation, it, it's easy to move back and forth yeah. through the through the spices. Um, I was just thinking about like a dumpling recipe, and that was some one of my plans as a turkey was to do some like uh, you know those uh like the barbecued pork steam buns, but do like a Chinese five spice kind of steamed bun with it, and that's man, the pulled pork just so that. Or pulled pork, pulled turkey, anything. The just the low and slow method. Just I, yeah. I think extracts such a good flavor. Um, most most people, the fatal flaw that most people make with that, and I, even people that I've seen people post on Go Wild, and um, you know you don't want to be the guy that comes behind everybody and tells them they're doing something wrong. But like I know how to make a really good pork butt, and I'm down to the point to where I pull my pork butt within two degrees like it's i don't it's not like a eh, it's kind of done i'm like it will be at 203 or it will not i don't i don't pull it like that's that's the temperature and i see people that like swear by pulling it at 185 or they like and and, and like that's the kind of thing like just push it further than you think you need to and as long as you're capturing that moisture i think people get worried about them drying out like that yeah. like that's a but if you're wrapping it and keeping it bathing in that stuff, man, it's not going to dry out. And, like, there's this magical moment, and it's after 185. But there's this magical – it's it's after 195. Like, there's something that happens, it seems like. Uh, if you pull it anywhere near 195, it's you, you're you going to have chunks that you have to cut up and cube. And I hate having to do that the pork butt because you know the magic that happens at 203 where it's just butter in your hands and it falls apart. Like once you figure that out, I really feel like life changes on a barbecue smoker. Like, you know, I, I talk to people that that try to cook without a thermometer, and it blows my freaking mind. Like, I I don't we I we can't. harp we harp on that so much. Like thermometer, thermometer, thermometer. I think the word thermometer gets mentioned at least every episode. Dude, um, it's. It, Somebody asked me the other day. They were um, he was shopping around for smokers, and I I'm I'm a big green egg guy, but like you don't have. To, I mean, they're expensive, and there's there's nowadays there's a lot of really great ceramic smokers out there. Traeger's got um, some easier options. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of great smokers out there. Um, he's like, well, what what accessories do you need? And I'm like, a big green egg. You have to have a plate setter, which is what turns it into indirect heat, and then. I, I recommend a cast iron uh, grate, but after that, it's a thermometer. Like your your th- thermometer is key. Like you have to you, you have to have that if you're going to be remotely good at cooking. Yeah, I have a I have like a digital thermometer, and I have a backup analog thermometer, just because it's uh, it doesn't hurt to check. You never know sensors. Electronics are what they are. Sometimes they go wrong. Just good to have a backup. Well, I'll tell you what I've picked up on. I use a iGrill two which uh, Weber bought out the company. I don't like the new app as much from Weber, um, but the the app is still – like they, they over-prettied it. It wasn't pretty before, but it was highly functional, and now it's all high-touch and I don't like it. But the the product is still really good. But what I've noticed is um, there's a lifespan on those those thermometers, and 
the way I check my thermometer now before I start using it is ambient. Just open it in your house. Your house is probably somewhere between 70 and 75 degrees. If it says anything that is not that, then then you need to discard your thermometer because I, I've realized after time, I'm like a pork butt, for example. I'm like, how in the world is this thing stuck at 183? This makes no sense. You know, you'd like you've done this enough and you, you, you mm-hmm. know that it's not right. And over time, I've realized that thermometer, when when I pulled it out of the bag and plugged it in, said it was 51 degrees. So it was already 20. I don't know what it is, but I've noticed this um, through scientific testing in my kitchen <laughs> of, it, <laughs> of it happening. It just It's literally happened to every thermometer I've had with iGrill. They, they, they wear out. I mean, I use them and abuse them. Um, and, and another thing they warn you about is uh, – there's a temperature softness, like 500 degrees is, is high. I think it's five, 450 or 500. I think it's 500, which is pretty forgiving. I mean, honestly, um, but I think I think part of it has been that I've gotten them too hot, and I think I've kind of burned them up. So it's probably, and it's not even the probe itself. It's probably the wiring or it's something. It's the wiring, like, like the yeah, yeah the the heat reflective coating or something's dissipated, and it yeah. could be like a millimeter thick tear in yeah. the wire. Yeah, and yeah. I uh, I'm really hard on literally everything. Like my even like as a child, my mom hated buying me shoes because it was going to ruin <laughs> them immediately. And I I I go pretty hard on all my gear too. I'm just not like you know I I shot a turkey with my shotgun, and I'll probably not clean that gun for like two more months before I put it back into storage just because things get busy and I'm like oh wait I haven't cleaned my shotgun yet. Like I just abuse the crap out of everything, so I'm sure it's partially me. so talking sort of uh talking turkey um what was your your turkey season like this year dude um it was it was crazy uh well i'm still in it i'm not done i but my first day out i think it was my first day out it might have been my second day out i i we're in a pandemic and i already like i'm like i don't know i think i went turkey hunting i can't even remember I have no idea how many times I've been or if it was my first day out, but I, I had success on my first day out. Um, I went out and, you know, got was getting responses. I, I kind of did a perimeter check. I hunt about a 75-acre lot. Um, so it's a one-mile walk from the car back to where the birds usually roost. I went to the uh, east side, and they weren't there. Moved over to the west, like I, or at least I didn't hear them. They didn't respond back immediately. So I came back to where um, I've hunted quite a bit and I've, I've seen a lot of birds and I've just had a hard time pulling them across. The, they they roost right at this creek and they'll either go the neighbor's property or this property. And a lot of times if they come into the property I hunt, it's later in the afternoon. But there is a crap ton of birds that nest or uh, that roost right through here. And, and so I came in and, dude, it was just, you know, everywhere, you know, okay, bird, 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 bird. And so... Uh, I, I came in at like six thirty, and by seven forty I was done. And I, uh, we were joking earlier, like I got skunked the last two seasons and this is the smallest Turkey I've ever shot. So I was like, I don't care. I'm, I like 2018 was brutal. I hunted, um, like eight full days, Turkey hunting, which is like, when you think about how, like I'm a, I'm, I consider myself probably more of a whitetail hunter and like eight days of Turkey hunting is a lot for me. <laughs> um, and I had a newborn, and oh um, yeah yeah so like i really pushed my wife to a level that like i don't recommend anybody doing but i got to that phase of like so determined to get a freaking turkey that year 
that I, I wouldn't let it go, and it never happened. And then last year, I just didn't get to hunt as much uh, with the business side of things. And so this year, like, went out, my literally my best executed um, decoy setup, calling and everything. Um, and it was, uh, I, I mean, obviously, three Jakes walk in, and I'm not, I'm like disappointed at first because it wasn't this giant rope dragger that I have on camera. But um, I was like, dude, I'm not walking away from turkey legs for, I mean, you can't eat you can't eat the uh, the beard anyway. Well, at least I'm not eating it. You guys might dice it up and uh, throw it into something. But um, I I uh, was not gonna walk away from that. I mean, I ended up getting close to ten pounds of meat off that thing. So uh, I was happy with it. And I, I'm still out there. I've been out two or three two or three times since then. I was out all weekend, two days this weekend, um, and I've gotten good action on them, but I haven't gotten one since, um, since that one, we get two tags in Kentucky. So, uh, not as good as some areas, Tennessee to our South, I think it's five Turkey tags, but oh, wow, you know, wow. um, uh, I, it, the, the funny part of that is like, I, I wouldn't have, I mean, I hunted eight days in one season and I didn't have any opportunities. So I, I couldn't kill five turkeys in a season if I wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> do you guys have a, do you guys have fall Turkey there? Or just, just spring. No, we do, um, and it it overlaps with uh, bow season pretty well. So, like, if you have your fall turkey tag, which we buy um, a sports – like, I get my sportsman's, so it comes with, like, all the main hunting licenses that you would want. So, you can get a fall turkey tag, though, and it overlaps. So, if, if you happen to see one, I guess you could thump one. Um, I don't – I mean, I'll be honest, like and, – and I should say this up front. I'm like, I'm not a – you know, people think I own a hunting app and I'm some masterful hunter. Like I'm not, that's why there is a hunting apps. Cause I sucked at it and I was trying to get better. And, um, you know, like, like cooking, I'm not a chef. I'm not, I hang out with cool chefs like you guys and Jeremiah daddy. Like I, I surround myself with people that are smarter than me so I can learn from them. And, um, I'm not really that great at any of the hunting I pursue. I suck at fishing, but I love it. But you know, the, um, yeah, the funny thing about, the, the fall season is if even if I saw one with my bow, I don't know that I have the confidence to, to shoot one. I, yeah. I'd be really – I'd probably wound one. That's such a small vital that you're trying to hit with a, yep. a moving turkey. Um, so, I don't know. I don't think I would try it. I'd, I'd feel really bad if I, like, wounded one or something. So I couldn't imagine shooting one with a bow. I know a lot of people do it, and it's popular, but just the thought of it, even we, we had a whole discussion on, on different broadheads for turkey hunting and stuff a couple episodes ago. And I just, uh, I don't know. I, I'm not a big archery hunter to begin with. I've gone, you know, a handful of times, but that the confidence level is not there. And I just, yeah, I, I can't see, I can't connect the dots to, to make it. So yeah, man, put in, I, I mean, I'm the same way. I mean, my uh, deer season, I mean, I'm, I'm like, very comfortable on a deer out to about 30 35 yards and i can hit i probably 30 i'll be honest and say 30 like 35 i i would hit it i would kill I, I could kill a deer 40 i can do it on a target but there's just a whole different level when you're doing it from a tree stand and animals moving they're looking at you and i start my confidence starts to drop dramatically and even this year deer hunting i had a chance um you know if i was more confident with a bow, I had a really mature, like probably an older eight point come through full blown. That's a crazy, like that's the craziest story. I think I have deer hunting that wasn't 
a kill. I had so much crap going on, but uh, this one time I had a d big buck run in at uh, 50 yards. And I know, I know guys like uh, my buddy Cody Rich can smoke a squirrel at 60, but, you know, I, I'm not going to try to shoot a buck at 50 when he's all wired up and trying to, you know, it was peak rut. He's coming in looking for the mm -hmm. buck that was grunting, uh, which was me. Um, but <laughs> you know, there wasn't – this was crazy. There was another – I was chasing a uh, – I think he was an 11-point all season, and then he showed up that night. He was behind me on the uh, – I, I hunt – this is really like torture myself. I hunt this um, triangle of property lines, but that's where the knuckle is that these deer come through. And so, like – there's times when they're on the neighbor's property and you can't shoot them. And so this, this, uh, big 11 point was behind me making all kinds of racket. And, um, I grunted at him. He went crazy and went down into the, the knuckle or the, the, like this Creek bed, but all the property, it's just like this perfect pinch point that comes together. Um, and, and, and it widens out, but it all comes back together. So these bucks are just traveling all through here. It took me years to literally figure out like where the peak, cause there's a couple sides that they could do that. But like, this is the spot. And so he ran over in there. So I tried to grunt him out and that's when this massive eight point came running. I've never seen this deer on camera. And I had, I ran cameras out there a lot last year and, and then they're down in there and all I can hear is just like racket. And I'm like, holy crap, this is awesome. Um, you know, I'm going to be able to, like, they're going to come up here. And, you know, you're, you always think that, like, your most ideal scenario is going to happen. They're going to come up here and beat the crap out of each other, and then I'm going to shoot one of them, and that'll be <laughs> great. And this goes on for 15 minutes or so, and then I look up at the third property that I can't shoot anything on. This was during guns – no, this was the last night of uh, bow season before gun season. Um, so I look up. And I see a, a doe running like she's kind of getting dogged. Like, you know, they'll kind of like duck down for a second, like with their rear end real low. She was doing that. And um, I'm like, what is she running from? Oh, it's a cow. Only it wasn't a cow. It was the biggest freaking whitetail I've ever seen in my life. Like this rack on this thing. You know, you see that, that idyllic uh, video where they're coming through in the cold and they're like snorting and there's there's all this mist and mm -hmm. uh, I, there was no like steam off of the deer, but it was that shot where he's chasing <laughs> her. I swear to God, dude, I was like, that is a 14 point deer. I have never seen a deer that big. Uh, I've seen, well, one other place, which is, um, I live in Kentucky and you guys know Papa John, the pizza. Yep. Uh, yeah. Like he lives very close to our office and I, I, uh, there's a park over there that I used to run my, uh, my marathon training through and the deer over there don't get hunted. It's inside of the city. And that's the only place I've ever seen in person a whitetail bigger than this deer. I mean, the neck on this, I literally thought it was a cow. I literally thought this thing was a cow. So it goes down in there where those other bucks are, are wrestling around. And so I'm like, holy crap, this is great. Gun season opens up tomorrow. These deer are probably going to bed right in this area tonight. They're not going to go too far. There's a good chance with three shooter bucks right here, I'm going to have like a fantastic day hunting in the, the next morning. I'm, um, I made the decision to leave a little bit before shooting light was done. I had about 15 minutes of shooting light. I didn't want to bump them in the dark, and I was like, I'm going to get out of here clean. And then um, on my way out, I, I I saw some does, and I'm a meat guy first, man. So, like, some people would be like, this is really stupid. There's these trophy bucks sitting here. But I saw the does, and I'm like, I, I need a deer in the freezer. So I start making that play on the way out. I'm about halfway out of the property at that point. 
and then I'm topping a hill trying to spot and stalk a doe. I literally came nose to nose with a coyote at 15, 20 yards who was also trying to stalk the does. He, <laughs> he wily coyote runs away and ran over another coyote and like toppled him. It was, it looked like a cartoon playing out in front of me. And I'm like, this is crazy. Like the, you, you know, you go out in the woods and you'll sit for 12 hours and not see a freaking animal. That's not a squirrel. Sometimes you would pay to see a squirrel. And I've seen like all this rut action on these massive bucks, these does. And then I get over here, there's six does, there's two coyotes. And then I actually did get a shot at the doe and I passed on it because it was just like down to the last 20 seconds of shooting light and I didn't feel comfortable. Um, but it, And then I come out the next morning and there was a miscommunication on the property. There was two hunters had driven up their truck to go to their tree stands right uh. where those deer were. So, I never saw another one of those bucks again. Oh no! None oh, of them. Man. I haven't seen. They're not. I didn't see them on camera. I didn't. I don't know what happened. I, That's I a did. Sad story. Two days of gun season. I heard uh, sixty-eight shots. The no four. No, I'm sorry. I exaggerated. It was uh, fifty-eight shots the first day, and then thirty-eight shots the next day. Oh, you think he was one of those? One of I those. Don't know. I don't yeah. know, dude. Shelby County. Shelby County is so loaded with deer that, like, I mean, I got on camera right now. I've got seven on on camera at once, um, which on a seventy acre plot is quite a bit. Um, you know, for for like, I don't know. I've never seen that in person. I've seen four is the most I usually see, but there's just freaking deer everywhere. Like the guy, the guy that has the, I I don't own the property, but the guy's like, just please shoot every deer you can. Oh wow, <laughs> there's so many of them. <laughs> I have a, a similar story. So I was, um, oh man, what was I? Probably 13, 14. It was before I could drive. I used to hunt with this group of guys in, in Oklahoma where I grew up at. And uh, they had a couple different, it was like 150, one property was 151, was 200 acre properties. And they had tree stands all set up. And so every evening before we go out in the morning, everybody would be like, all right, I'm going to take this tree stand. And so they divide up all the tree stands. And I was always the guest uh, and the youngest one in the camp, ex- you know, excluding kids who would go with their dad. So I'd always get like the rickety tree stand. It was like two by fours nailed to the tree in like a, <laughs> you know, a bucket seat at the top or something ridiculous. But um, I'm, I, Although I grew up hunting in stands and blinds, it's not my favorite, and I don't like sitting still. So, especially as you know, like a twelve, thirteen-year-old kid, you're out there like forcing yourself like to sit still. And uh, I think it was like watching moles dig up ground, stuff like this. Anyway, the morning came, and I I spent about an hour, two hours, maybe after sunrise. And so, like, it's light. I'm not seeing anything. I'm, like, you hearing shots go off in the background, everything like this. And uh, I decided, all right, well, I'm going to get down. This was the time before everybody had cell phones, so I couldn't text my friends or call them. Uh, But they were on another stand that was probably about 200 yards away just around the edge of this field. So I couldn't see where they were, but I knew where they were, and the truck was over there. And I was like, worst case... You know, they want to keep hunting. I'll go sit in the truck and I'll go to sleep. Because uh, I was just like, I've been sitting here for two hours. I'm done. So I get out of the stand, start walking over there. I jump some does at the corner. Uh, and where I was sitting, it was like I was sitting along the stand or along this edge of the trees. And on my right side of the stand is a road. 
that we came in in and out of with gate kind of 100 yards behind me and then a fence line that runs the rest of the way. So you follow the edge of the fence line and then you hit another set of trees and that's where my buddies were at. So to kind of paint the picture, we head off over that way. Um, as I'm working that way, I hear a shot and I'm like, okay, cool. It, it must be them. They must've got a deer. So, uh, I just kept going and they were still sitting in the stand when I got there. So they were a little confused and I explained and they're like, ah, oh, well, you know, someone so shot in one of the other stands. I talked to him on the radio so we can just go ahead and go. So we leave and we drive past my stand and we get to the first gate. And, uh, as we're there, my buddy's got his, his son with him. And his son, who was probably like seven, eight at a time maybe, is like running back down the road towards where my stand was. Well, this monster whitetail sticks its head out of probably 10 yards from where my stand would have been and stands out, walks out in the middle of the road, and my buddy starts yelling, get down, get down, talking to his son. He's like, just shoot, man, shoot past him. I'm like, no way that's ever going to happen. He's like... No, just I was like, no, 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 no. We we joked about it later because it was half serious, half joking in that surprise moment. But come back to it, like once we, you know, he the buck ran off and he was huge. He looked like a mule. And uh, he we got back to camp and he, we were retelling the story and he's like, you know what? He goes, if you would have sat in the stand another thirty minutes, that thing would have walked out ten yards in front of you. Yeah, and you would have been able to shoot it no problem. Uh, but well, the uh the awesome thing about cell cameras now is that you see what's at your stand the terrible thing about cell cameras is that you see what's at your stand so like <laughs> you know I've, I've had um actually i get i guess i've had this happen a little bit with turkeys i haven't had a cell camera running deer, i got my cell cameras after deer season but i've had this where i go back and i check and i'm like holy crap i was ready to shoot any deer literally anything to get meat and nothing showed up. And literally 30 minutes after I left, there came something through. Like I've had that happen so many times. Uh, it's, it's such just the, like the circumstances are just unpredictable where it yeah. could be like, Oh look, you know, a mouse squeaked over here. So the deer's going to turn right versus left. Like, you know, who knows? I will say, um, you were talking about like sitting and the challenges of sitting and, um, I, when I got into turkey hunting, I didn't know what I was doing and I, I still don't, and I'm not a good caller. Um, but you know, I enjoy it. And I, uh, I got lucky my first two seasons and got birds, but I thought, you know, everybody hunted from a blind, you know, I thought you only called turkeys with a Yelp. Like I had no idea what I was doing, but, um, I found it way more difficult to sit and like, for some reason, turkeys, like I, I, I enjoy it way more now, like running and gunning, like finding at least a starting point. And I I, I kind of thought that I had moved into this way that most people hunt turkeys, but there's still so many people that go up and throw up a blind at a field edge with no knowledge of, like, is there a bird nearby to even call mm-hmm. in? And, dude, what I've learned, like, if I'm giving any beginner turkey advice is, like, don't do that. And I would even say – like I used to think the blind made me like it was more forgiving because I was a new turkey hunter, but you know even then like they're just in general I think you can run and gun even as a beginner and have more success than starting off and thinking you need to sit and watch the behavior and all this stuff that you kind of get. Um, some people would coach you into now. There's guys like 
I've had Scott Ellis. I don't know if you guys know Scott, but he's a four four time Grand National Turkey Calling champion. The dude's killed like I don't know. I think it's three or four hundred turkeys. Um, wow, that's yeah. a lot. <laughs> he's got yeah. He's got he's got a TV show where he pretty much just slays turkeys for three months of the year. Um, <laughs> but he's the I mean he's one of the best. He's the best turkey hunter I know. And and he's a big advocate because he and I talked about this, and I was asking him about getting kids. He's really passionate about getting kids outside, and he's like, you know, I'm not a big fan of the blind, even for them. Like you're just you're not teaching something that's really particularly useful. And with turkey turkeys, like if you hear the turkey walking away, if like you hear a gobble, and then ten minutes later he gobbles and he's 250 yards further away from you, and you're in a blind, what are you doing? You know, you can't like you can't make any play no. on that bird at that point. So um, you know, you're not teaching them anything useful. And since I've started to be more aggressive and moving around, I will say like, uh, the last two years I did not kill a bird. 2018 was the fluke year where I feel like, like the Midwest just struggled. It was that weird, like it was snowing on me a week before today, like that then, like it was in, mm-hmm. in Kentucky. That's weird. I know, you know, Corey up in Pennsylvania, you guys get freak snows like that, but I mean, Dude, we we don't have that happen. Like a week before the Kentucky Derby is flip flop weather. You know, we're we're like <laughs> we're we're prepping our cutoff T-shirts for the infield, and <laughs> um, and it snowed. So like the birds were all out of whack, dude. But I did see more birds that season because I of locating and then stalking in as close as you can get, and then calling. And I had a lot of great interactions. I learned a ton that season. Um, and then last year is kind of a fluke. I just didn't didn't uh didn't get out enough to really qualify that but this year even you know i um i would much rather be moving around and and locating and then trying to call and maybe even get too aggressive and don't see anything than what i used to do like it's just a way more fun and i you start off you know 60 percent further down the road when when you're at least knowing there's a turkey in the area I used to just set up because I knew they roosted over there, and if I didn't hear them, I was like, nope, they're there. They're just not talking today, you know. Now, you mm-hmm. know, even on this little plot, there's a huge difference, and it's only a quarter of a mile away, but that makes a huge difference on where the birds are. I think that was something I always found frustrating at and sort of the way I got coached younger when when I started turkey hunting and then sort of got turned off to it was that exact mentality of like, hey, go sit and call and if you don't hear calls then just trust that they're there and they're going to come to you eventually and if they don't they don't but you just got to be patient and not move and it's like well a lot of that's the the whitetail mindset though yeah that's why like i think that's truly you know most people that hunt turkeys hunt whitetail and a lot of the eastern united states you know i have a hard time explaining this to people out west they're like why don't you just spot and stock whitetail? I'm like, have you ever tried to yeah. move through, like, <laughs> Corey knows, uh, the Appalachian Mountains, man? Like, you, we got leaves everywhere. You can't do anything without, like, <laughs> you can hear something coming for a quarter of a mile away. You know, you're not going to spot and stock a whitetail. <laughs> nope. Now, Closest. I hunt a, a, a field, like, yeah, sure, maybe the field. If you've got, there could be some way that that pulls together. I, I Like I said, I stocked up on a doe. Um, not that I don't even think she knew, didn't know I was there, but like I got within shooting range on a like mowed field, right? Like it can happen, but for the most part, where most people hunt whitetails, you're not 
you're not stalking through those leaves. No, no. And I mean, so the, we we sit and we wait. Yep. But I, Corey, the, your the strategy. Found, what's that? Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Uh, I'm just going on with the turkey hunting. You know, I should have had success this morning, but a part of that success is for the past week and a half before the season started, I've been waking up at 4.30 in the morning, getting out in the woods, locating the birds, and then what made this morning almost a success was that uh, last night went out there and, you know, I heard them yesterday morning and then uh, in the evening went back out there and figured out exactly where they were roosting. So this morning I could walk right to that spot. We, we sat down. I watched them fly off the roost, came right into us, and then I whiffed the shot. So I learned something, and I did everything right except um, the shooting part of it. But, yeah, it's all about, you know, locating the actual bird and not not just a area where a bird might be. Yep. Are you going back tomorrow? I've been waking up at 4.30 for a, a week and a half, and my uh, uh, I, I, I've, I was so disappointed today, and since it's almost 10 o'clock now, and I, I think I'm going to sleep in tomorrow. So you're going. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I heard. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I... Uh, I I I didn't know I I had never shot one this close to the roost where I did this season and Mike's and again I'm a, I'm a new tur- I'll say I'm a new turkey I've only killed three turkeys so it's not like I'm preaching to anybody on I've hunted turkeys a lot I've watched a lot of turkeys I've only shot three of them um, but I was I wasn't sure like you know in that scenario of shooting one like if it would it happened so close to dawn I was like will they move will they consider that to be risky and uh in validating what i have believed for years that turkeys are stupid they were still there still responding to my same call so (laughs) (laughs) i think turkeys have a great collection of senses that they use for survival i don't think they're very smart yeah, yeah I, brain the size of a pea, right? Or acorn or something like yeah. that. So, some, dude, some some really good turkey hunters will tell you that they're super smart, and I just don't. I'm not buying it. I mean, I think there's parts of them where they're good at evading, like you said. They combine yeah. senses. I mean, if it, if you run away from everything that you see as fearful, <laughs> is it? Is, are you smart or cautious? Like, yeah, it's a they debate. Have, <laughs> they have great survival instincts. I don't yeah. think they're smart. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Um, I want to talk a little bit about... First, a little bit about cooking. We've talked some about cooking, but, um, well, oh man, I have a question, but I feel like we can go on about it, uh, for a while. Have you put in to the Kentucky elk? Yeah, I put in, um, I've been doing that for several years. I, 
I put in, um, there's four tags you can put in on, on that. It is a lottery system, um, and it is very, very slim odds that you'll get it. But, um, you know, and there's no point system. It's mm-hmm. not like, it's not like the Western tags. Um, so I, I found that really intriguing when I was reading it. Cause I, I put in for it this year. I put in for the, the, um, oh my gosh, I put in for both the firearm ones. Yeah. Just, just to see, uh, kind of increasing the, what I'm putting in for in different States this year. So, uh, the, the, the good thing is if you're going to just throw in, it's not one where you have to build points. And I don't know a lot about the point systems out West. Again, I'm, um, I've been hunting since I was a kid, but I, not hardcore. And I was like small game. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't start whitetail hunting until after college. And then I've never hunted out West. I've never done big game. I've never even applied for the Western tags, um, since I've gotten into hunting. So I would say hardcore. My wife says it obsesses me. Um, I haven't started putting into those cause my life's just insane running a startup. Um, so I, <laughs> I could only I, imagine. I, I, yeah. I, and so I haven't done that. There's, uh, there's been a lot of chances to, you know, take some over the counter opportunities. And I just can't, you know, I mean, I, I traveled up until this freaking pandemic hit. I hadn't been home. Um, I think I spent out of the first like eight weeks of the year, I spent one week full week at home like i would just travel all the time uh, different peaks of the year and so like convincing my wife uh you know hey i'm gonna leave for 10 days to go out on an elk hunt like it's not the right time uh for me and mm-hmm. I, I and i also am like in this pos- unique position where I, I really am very fulfilled with what i get to do at home like i love whitetail hunting and i feel like i still have so much to grow and learn as a whitetail hunter um I'm, I've been content with that. So I haven't learned a lot about the Western tags. That's why I bring all, I bring that big sob story up about why Brad doesn't get to go out West and hunt elk. Um, <laughs> just to say, like, I don't know a lot about how that system works. I, what I do know is mostly gathered from listening to podcasts. I, for whatever reasons, I've, I've probably got like the, the, uh, most theoretical knowledge that, like that I can, uh, is in, like I've never needed to, or had to apply. It's not earned knowledge, um, I just picked it up from podcasts and learning about how a lot of those systems work. Our systems aren't like that. It's, they don't, they don't have that the state of Kentucky maintains that the population is not healthy enough to do that. Uh, or not, not that it's not healthy. It's not large enough. There's not enough opportunity. And so they, they can't do a point system. And so it is a true lottery and there are landowner tags. I don't know exactly how those work, but I do know that landowners of certain size, I think it's based on acreage, I think, in those counties. I think in, too, like cooperation, there's a, uh, I think, like a cooperation program. Don't quote me, but it was looking like cooperating landowners. They probably let uh, Fish and Wildlife come on and do management and all kinds of stuff like that, I'm sure. Yeah, and I think think if you're in on that, you can give those tags to whoever you want. That's why Donald Trump Jr.'s gotten to hunt, you know, Mm -hmm. two or three elk two or three times in Kentucky. he when they have the them. they have the governor's tags too, I think. Yeah. So you can uh, who knows how much those cost. I'm sure you can look it up somewhere, but I imagine they're not cheap. No, I'm sure they're not. I mean, governor's tags on. I mean, I'm not saying this is at all in the same ballpark, but just to give context to some of the stuff I know. I mean, you can talk hundreds of thousands of dollars on some of those yeah. Western big game animals, uh, because the guys that are throwing down on a governor's tag, 
it literally means nothing to them. It's like you and I are going into buying a burrito. So, <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, man, the, the, the elk were reintroduced in my home County, um, 20 years ago, I guess. Uh, I think it was 22 years ago and they brought in a hundred and you know, they, um, it's, it's crazy because the, uh, reclaimed coal mines are actually great habitat for elk and they've, they've really thrived there. Kentucky has the largest population of elk east of the Mississippi from what I understand. Mm-hmm. Um, the, they've, they've spread out, you know, so far beyond that home base and they've done, they did more reintroductions. It wasn't, and they're still doing them. Uh, from what I understand, they, they have a whole process down for, it's really incredible the way they do it. They bring them in, and contain them for weeks in a uh, you know a fairly small area, and let them acclimate, and then then they have a program where they're letting them out. But um, yeah, it's funny because as much trail cameras as I've run in southeastern Kentucky, which is a lot, uh, never had an elk come on camera. So I've still yet to see one down there. I've yet to get one on camera. Uh, there's somewhere between estimates are like you know 15 to 25 thousand of them, and I have seen zero. But they're there. Oh man! Well, we got about eleven days before the drawing, so fingers crossed. I don't know if you put in this year or not, but I did. Yeah, I put in every year. I mean, I, dude, for me, I'm like, hey, forty bucks going into conservation. What do yeah. I care? I mean, um, I'm not one of these guys that's throwing in so many tags that I gotta like try to work it out with my bank account. I mean, forty bucks. <laughs> You know, you want, you want to compare it to food. That, okay, four burritos. It's like an easy decision, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I had the same thought going into it. I, I mean odds are not in my favor but yeah that's a good strategy to break it down into like burritos or ice yeah. cream cones or makes it real or something like that you know <laughs> yeah i will say no. the um i i do know that there are so few guides in kentucky for elk that if you get the cow tags you'll have a hard time finding a guide you're gonna have to probably diy it oh wow okay huh let That's me know if you, if you get a cow tag, let me know. I know guys that um, could give you advice, but from what I understand, there's they're so like they, they just have enough demand. Um, and, and keep in mind, there's so few tags that these guys are like insurance salesmen or whatever. You know, they're not yeah. they're not trying to do this full time, um, yeah. but but they know where they are and they're good at what they do. And they just they're not in in it for trying to stay that busy. So it's an interesting dynamic because because of that right yeah i I think what was i was looking at the numbers there's uh the four different tags that there's less only one of them had more than 200 tags in in the group this year so i mean it's it's i didn't even look at it i just click 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 done i don't yeah you know i'm already buying my tags so i'll just throw it all in together perfect um now that we got off on that, that was one thing I wanted to talk to you about. I was like, "Oh yeah, that's right. He lives in Kentucky. Let's." I got to ask him about elk. This guy was, yeah, man. At it. I mean, it, dude, it's a great story, and it, it, a lot of people have no idea. They have no clue of just how big the elk pop. But there's Kentuckians that don't know we have elk, dude. Like, there's Kentuckians <laughs> that literally wouldn't know an elk from a whitetail. But you know, <laughs> that's where I live. I live in Louisville, where. You know, they they have no idea that deer even shed their antlers uh, every year. Like, it's just (laughs) – there's one end of the state, then there's Louisville and Lexington. So, it is what it is. I do love Louisville. I'm not not totally bashing on it, but there's definitely a distance from nature 
um, to some people in in a city. So, yeah, I think that happens anywhere. I mean, it we does. live on a we live on an island, and I can't even tell yeah. you the conversations that I've had about hunting or even. Yeah people trying to understand that I I am a an avid hunter but I live on an island. So yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm sure it's the same thing when I try and talk about fishing with people who fish. I was going to ask if you guys fish. Here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Justin, you fish more than I do. Yeah. I I'm not real great at it though, but I try. Oh, I'm terrible. I'm a horrible fisherman. Uh, uh, we're all in this together. Corey, <laughs> Corey but, uh, slays him. I see his post on Go Wild of all the trout and everything he's bagging. So yeah, I'll uh, I'll try and talk to people that I work with or people that are friends with about fishing, and I'm just gonna be like, oh yeah, so yeah, caught a big one, huh? And then <laughs> I mean, they're going into different jigs and weights and techniques and styles, and I just get completely lost. So. That's man, saltwater fishing too. Like I grew up freshwater fishing. Like it, I learned the strategy at a young age, and it's like. It's a tried and true method. It's pretty easy to stick to. You get in salt water. I mean, you have so many different species. Everything likes to eat different food and different environments and different depths. And it's just like it all runs together. So and, and you got like tides and currents oh. and there's reefs and it's sandbars and it's like what the hell is going on? <laughs> and if I, the, vis- the visibility's bad or it's good yeah. or it's like too sunny, Dude, not sunny enough. I'm like, I tell you what though, like few things could I ever see me loving more than hunting? I do think if I lived anywhere near saltwater, I would probably get hardcore into that, uh, because of how good seafood is. Like the, the, everything you catch tastes delicious. Like there's very few things that you pull out of saltwater that are bad. Right. Um, and, and then up here, you know, it's like, I just, we have nowhere near the, the food, from the water and then if it is something you would eat you have to question the water in which it came from so you know I, I i'm not eating out of the ohio river it's just not happening okay uh, it's like <laughs> uh, some some people some people do it and that's fine um you know i would uh I, it's just not my thing um i i, I if i even like uh, my buddy mike who i met on go wild funny enough um Corey might know of Mike, Mike Larson. Mike's a great yeah. guy, and I met him. Yep. Uh, yeah, Mike's Mike's awesome, man. I met him on Go Wild, and I go fishing with him up in Michigan every year. And, um, you know, that's even different than where I am. You know, there's a lot of uh, – and, th- and there are areas that you can fish and eat from here. Uh, there's there's um, Certainly you can, but we just don't have the food fair from the, the waterways and the, the, you know, we don't have, obviously don't have deep seas or big lakes like Michigan and Florida does. So uh, you guys got a real treat down there. I could, uh, I could really get into that. Um, my wife would probably, you know, be even more stressed out if I had another big hobby. She, I always <laughs> go big. Like I, I don't get into like, I don't get into little hobbies. I got into, um, beer brewing once, uh, for a couple years and I brewed beer hardcore, which requires a ton of very large equipment. And it's like brewing one batch takes eight hours. Uh, that was a big hobby, I would say. And then I got into like kayaking. So I have all these different boats um, that take up a ton of space. Um, and, and then since, you know, I'm obviously very into hunting and she's like, oh my God, do you have a whole room of all your hunting crap? Or it's like, you're going to be gone all, <laughs> what do you mean you're gone the next four days for hunting or you're leaving to go hunt public land, blah, blah, blah. It's like, I go big, so if I if I lived down there, I'd probably be in debt because I probably would have bought a uh, quarter million dollar boat and 
be trying to I can't afford a quarter million dollar boat, but I'm just being facetious <laughs> here. Hey man, if you're in the market, I'm uh, trying <laughs> to sell my <laughs> trying to sell yours. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, man. Uh I don't I don't know if that fly on the the little lakes we have here. <laughs> it's pretty small. It can get into little uh little areas. Well, I better <laughs> I better stick to my uh my canoe with my trolling motor. <laughs> it's, it's probably a better investment. <laughs> <laughs> I've already paid that one off, so <laughs> Colin, you still haven't sold that boat? No, nah, man, I got a couple bites here and there, but uh Nothing that's really come up yet, so I might be uh, taking it to Oregon with me. Dude, you should take it with you. It'll be a good boat for out there. Yeah, it'll be good for the river. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, we'll see. Here at Harvest in Nature, we are known to cook a variety of wild fish and game in a variety of ways. Probably one of my favorite methods is to cook in a smoker. Traeger Grills has some of the best products out there. Their pellet grills aren't just grills. There are smokers and ovens too. Anything you can do in the oven in your house, you can do on the Traeger. You can make desserts. You can grill steaks. You can use cast iron pans and braise tough cuts. You can allow roasts and briskets to smoke all day until they're tender and delicious. You can even use it to make jerky. Their variety of pellets are also very impressive. The different flavors of wood allow you to pair with your meat or fish or vegetables and give it the most flavor that you can create. They even have varieties created specifically for your next wild fish or game meal. But uh, moving on as we're we're hitting uh, almost the hour mark, I definitely want to talk about Go Wild a little bit. I, yep. think, uh, I think we're all curious. Uh, Corey's probably the most savvy out of us three. Um, when it comes to it, I know we, we did a lot, um, sort of in the beginning and then it kind of been on the edge sort of sharing here back and forth, um, but eager to get more into it and learn more about it. So, uh, I'm curious how you got to the point of where you said, let's bring more technology into, into the hunting and fishing world. Well, I think we spent an hour establishing that I'm not very good at what I love to do. <laughs> so, so uh, which is different from how most of these interviews start off. It's usually like, tell us why you did it. That's the first question. So I like that we established that I'm not very good for an hour. <laughs> so now I don't have to explain this part of it. Like, I, I, I was, um, you know, I went to college and I did what you do in college, explored, you know, uh, what I want to do with my career and met new people and, I think overall you start, I moved to Memphis, which I, after college and, um, through all of this really found myself longing for back home. And I grew up in Appalachia. Um, and I, I, you know, missed, I, I I really off-roaded and fished, which it's amazing. I fished my whole life and still suck. Uh, but the, I, I did that more than hunting, you know, I, I mean, literally like squirrel hunting with my dad here and there growing up, very minimal, and, um, you know, the, the got into squirrel hunting again during college with my sister and, um, through that got into whitetail hunting and I was hunting with a guy who, uh, was good at it. And then when I, I stopped hunting with him and I was on my own, I'm like, holy crap, I'm not good at this at all. I was just hunting with a guy that knew what he was doing. You know, it's like very different. You'd go out with your family and they're like, hey, sit in that stand. Uh, uh, Big Dan will be by. He usually comes through at 9 a.m. according to the trail cameras. Totally different thing than knowing how to walk. Like if someone dropped you off in that property and was like, hey, 
go out and find the deer sign, figure out where they're coming through, you know, find where the bucks are probably bedding the does. Like there's this whole world that you over time learn about that I had no idea. And, you know, there's, there's certain ways you look at things you don't know or, or that you want to know or, but there's also these things that you just don't even know to know. They're the unknowns unknown. And I, I, I had all of these unknown unknowns. And so when I was reading, you know, I pick up a magazine. Uh, I was still reading magazines at this point, <laughs> you know, <laughs> print, print magazines. Uh, I, I admittedly have moved a lot to online. But, like, you know, I, I would go out and buy magazines trying to learn how to whitetail. And this was actually – this whole problem started, like, 2014 and 15 and, and finally culminated in 16. I'd buy these magazines, and I'm like, okay – I'm reading this, but like I don't still understand most of what they're talking about in this article. They're, the 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 knowledge gap between where the article was educating people that had a base level and they could learn. I didn't even know how to do a lot of this stuff. I mean, I knew like a bleak call, or I might know uh, you know a little bit of this, a little bit of that. But I I needed someone to really dumb it down. And I was like, I just wish I could ask people questions. Like, why can I not ask people questions? So I started looking for forums and and trying to find a place to interact. And oh, man, that's a rabbit hole unto itself. Well, it is, but yeah. the the thing um, – so I was – it's probably important to point out at this point that I, I was a creative director at a digital ad agency. We were building 50000 to a quarter million dollar websites. We were doing a lot of digital marketing. We were doing branding. I mean, we were a really sophisticated agency. So I was really exposed to, like – cutting edge web work mm-hmm. and then i'm looking at these forums and the there were some apps out there that are now defunct i mean you can't even the, the websites don't even exist anymore um and i'm like oh my god if this is what's out there you know i can do better than this and you know i have a passion for it but at the same time a lot of the guys who have built hunting apps were really good at it and and they 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 might have been even international hunters or they they were really wealthy whitetail hunters who you know might now okay we're going to go out and pay five grand to stay in this elk lodge for uh you know three days like they had that kind of money and i'm like i'm thinking of i'm i'm aligning myself with there's got to be other people like me who don't have the means to go do travel like that who are just trying to get good at hunting where they are who are trying to get like knowledge from people around them. And you know, the forums. So the first thing I realized that there was no good technology solution for it. But the other part was the, the forums. Okay. Whitetails right now. We're look at where all we live. Uh, Corey and I probably hunt whitetails pretty similarly. I have no idea how the hell you guys hunt whitetail in Texas, like they are in uh, Florida. It's very different. I imagine than the habitat where they are near Corey and I. Um, likewise, you know, probably, what, 15 hours to, to the west of you guys, 20 hours to my southwest of Texas. Like, holy hell, it's a whole different world mm-hmm. hunting whitetails in Texas. And then there are people that still hunt them out in Nebraska. And it's a, it's a, like a, it's a totally different – Iowa, like totally different experience on how you hunt whitetails. So just because you Googled how to call – whitetail in early season like i was smart enough to okay early season okay it doesn't mean it's at all the same what's early season how are we defining this it's very early season is defined differently in nebraska than it is in texas than it is kentucky than it is florida mm-hmm. you know and now we also have different diets all these deer eat different things so the advice the guy in texas has given me on where he finds whitetail 
Dude, totally different. You know, you know how many cacti I run into when I'm hunting in Kentucky? None. Probably like, <laughs> yeah, it's not like many. Yeah, yeah. So like, yeah, make sure you watch out for those. Yeah. So when uh, you know trying to read a forum and it's mostly Texas hunters, I'm getting bad advice. So the recognition of how bad the system was aligned with really an entrepreneurial goal of mine, which was to start a company. And it, um, it, so I, I had opportunity. I had, um, you know, the, uh, passion for it. And, and I already had that drive that I was, I was trying to find a company. I mean, I looked at a bunch of different stuff that I wanted to do or that, that I could do and nothing struck my fancy enough to, to make me want to say, okay, I'll risk my family's livelihood to quit my job and go chase this dream. And, you know, at the, the end of the day, I got to looking at really the kicker for me was just realize like, okay, you're going to start a business. The number one thing is like, does anybody want what you're selling? Right. If I'm going to mm-hmm. build an app, um, it's not a, important enough to just say, are there people that would use it? You have to understand how you're going to monetize it. Like eventually it's got to make money. So yep. when I started reading about the, how much money the hunters and anglers in our country generate every year. I mean, dude, like we, our industries employ more people than Walmart. We, we are 2% of GDP. We, uh, the average hunter spends $2,800 a year. Anglers are spending $1,400 a year. There's very few audiences that, that impact our country more than hunting and fishing. (coughs) But, you know, when you look at social media today, the, look at Instagram, look at Facebook, look at their advertising policies, look at their content moderation policies. And they aren't catering to that audience. They don't care that your industry is creating jobs. They don't care that you're actually paying into conservation. They don't care that the gun you bought that they're fighting against in legislation is actually what's paying the way for them to go and hike or to to go out with their family on a picnic in a state park or whatever it is. You know, they don't, they don't think about that. And, you know what like really the the final kicker on this was in 2016 um I, I don't i brag on my team mostly but i'll say that like the founders really saw the writing on the wall that um the bullying and the trolling of hunters particularly was getting really really bad and yeah. we we predicted that the um these platforms that are built in silicon valley they're funded in silicon valley that, you know, Silicon Valley solved Silicon Valley's problems and they weren't ever going to understand this audience. They weren't ever going to cater to this audience. And I would, I would be willing to bet right now that the, the content moderation and the advertising policies probably doubled down on hunting and it's fishing is catching up quickly. Uh, but they probably double down on the amount that they restrict and remove or censor or, shadow ban or whatever the practice is it's probably doubling every 12 months at this point on these other platforms i mean facebook and instagram just announced in january that they're going to start cracking down on gun influencers you know youtube famously still blows my mind made it to where uh they they don't allow content uh that teaches you how to use a firearm you know god forbid people should use firearms safely right their their intent is good in that they're trying to stop mass shootings, but there's an overcorrection. They don't understand <coughs> how, you know, how few people are actually creating that kind of content. So now, even if I'm just trying to teach you to 
properly mount a scope for your hunting rifle, that's considered in the same category as someone that could be doing something malicious. They're, 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 they're just wiping out all the behavior instead of some. So this is a long rant to say that we saw what we thought was going to happen. And I'll be honest with you, it's actually gotten worse than we ever predicted. But the, the important thing for us was to say, okay, eventually this is going to go beyond content moderation. We can take that and it's going to hit brands at some point. Brands are not going to be able to advertise on these platforms. That's how we're going to monetize. We're going to have the best audience for hunting and fishing, and we'll work with brands to help them connect with hunters and anglers. And what's funny is Corey uses the platform a lot. Most people don't even realize we have advertisements because the products that we're advertising are like, it's stuff you already want to buy. And it's like so well targeted to you that people don't even realize it. So it's like, it's better for consumers because they're finding stuff they wanted to know about. 80% of our audience says that they found new brands that they like through our platform. It's better for companies because they don't have to deal with Facebook's BS. And you know, it's, it's a win-win and it's, it's built by hunters and anglers and hikers uh, for them. And, you know, we're really proud of, where the products landed today. And I mean, the, the, um, last year, so that's where it started. I will say last year we launched an e-commerce product. Um, I'm really proud of this. We we're pulling in 150,000 products into our app now. So if you were to go out, you guys could build out your whitetail setup or your trout fishing setup, and you can tag all the gear you're using, share it with your friends. And what's cool is like the guy that Corey and I talked about, Mike, well, I can go on and I can see what Mike is using for his whitetail setup. I already know Mike's a badass. I want to know what deer calls Mike's using or what turkey calls or uh, whatever it is. People can list that on their profile, and this now becomes the new way to share instead of, like, listing out all the stuff in my bio or having to tag all the brands on the gear. Like, I can actually build out setups. And where this gets cool for consumers is the long-term goal is that we're going to help you shop better, find gear that the, the really good members on go wild are using so you know you see a bag that has five stars on amazon okay great i don't know if that those 40 reviews are from beginners or if those are actually people that know how to to whitetail hunt because Mm -hmm. a beginner saying a bag is great means literally nothing they don't know what they're using it for yet Uh, but a guy that kills you know two or three deer a season i'm going to trust his opinion more so uh, over time what we're trying to build in is an e-commerce system that I know Mike uses this bag, and that's I'm going to trust Mike's opinion, so I'm going to buy it. Uh, for, I, I'm super transparent about how we make money. I think it's very important. We make money when you guys buy. Like if you click and it goes to Cabela's, we make money through that. And what's cool is we donate 1% of our revenue back into conservation or nonprofits. So the first group we're working with on this is Raise Them Outdoors. And Raise Them is a nonprofit that teaches kids to hunt, fish, and camp. So literally, if you were going to buy something from Cabela's anyways, you can go into our system, you can search for it, you click the purchase now link, you're going to go to their website, you buy it just like you were going to anyways, and we're going to donate 1% of our revenue from all of the, all of the money we make through that into conservation. So, you know, not only have we started with realizing that we need to service hunters better and anglers better who are paying for conservation, we're turning it into a model that can help fund it as well. So uh, we're going to be working with some non different nonprofits over the years uh, with this. I've already got some in mind that we're looking at, but um, yeah, man, I mean, that's, that's it in a nutshell. Uh, I say a nutshell, that was actually like a really long, long, <laughs> that's a big, big ass nut, but um, that's it essentially. 
we were sitting here as you were talking. I was thinking about it all the time. So I'm 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 in the market for a new uh, a new uh, backpacking hunting bag and uh, and rifle scope. And I I spent I was on four different websites. I'm reading reviews. I'm reading best of articles, like all that. And I I feel like probably if I dialed in my uh, my use on uh, Go Wild, I could probably solve some of my dilemmas pretty quickly. Dude, and, uh, uh, yeah. So the the app has an algorithm like any other app. But we actually focused ours in one thing it looks for are questions. You know, we can we can do this with simple word structures, obviously question marks, but it, it tries to help you. So a lot of people, and I mean, there's a chance you post and you get nothing, right? But if you're looking for a turkey hunting bag, you can post this in the turkey hunting trail. We, we do content first. It's not about making friends. So a lot of people download the app, and they'll get – 10, 15, 20 comments on their first post. I'm not exaggerating. Like that, that happens every day. And if you ask a question on your first post, you get a badge that says, This is my first post on Go Wild or first post or whatever. And you're asking for help from this really helpful community. I mean, you can get crazy engagement. Go look at Mike. Mike Larson is a great example of how good the engagement is on Go Wild. I mean, Mike doesn't have 20,000 followers or anything. Um, but the way the system is set up, like a Reddit, if you guys are familiar with Reddit, you know, Reddit, you follow politics, you post into politics, all however many people, 350,000, whatever it is, I don't know, um, they can all see it, right? You have a chance for your post to go viral, to get to get traction. That's how our platform is built. I don't really care that you have 30 followers because if you post it in turkey hunting, the tens of thousands of people that logged in this week and saw that you the, uh, the turkey hunting trail – you know that they, they can take that and and they'll there's a chance they'll see it. So, the the platform I use it for. Um, <laughs> uh, admittedly, we launched Gearbox in November, and I think by the by December I'd already bought two new products from doing what you just said and people <laughs> recommending stuff. And my wife's like, "So this is what it is now." <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I needed a new way to shop. I mean, the yeah. app was created to help me too. Uh, I yeah, so uh, exactly. Well. Selfishly, it all started with my needs. This whole thing is really just like blowing out areas that Brad needs help. So, but in the end, did you create more work for yourself by trying to solve needs? Yes, I, um, I, I definitely, um, I was a creative director by thirty, um, and was on a nice cushy path to essentially. I don't know. I I had a team that worked on stuff, and I'm the guy that says yay or nay. So mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, being a creative director is hard, but I, especially like right now, I look at all the essential employees, and I'm like, dude, like hard in what way? You know, it's not – I looked at a computer, and I told people how to make things that were essentially just advertisements better. Like I had a really nice cush life, and then I signed up for Startup Life – and, you know, there's no normalcy. There's no hours. Um, there's n- like if my boss had told me while I was at the agency that I had to do a podcast at 9 p.m. with somebody, I'd be like, no, <laughs> like I, that's my time. I'm doing what I want to. Like I, I definitely was a nine to five guy and I, well, eight to five. Like I would I would get there early and I'd, I'd leave around five and I typically didn't i mean i've had my email notifications turned off for years like i just didn't work in the evening and believed in like recentering trying to do my you know 45 hours a week and um 
I made good money, and I threw all of that out the window to do this. And it's um, not uncommon to work, you know, 80 hours. If, and it's not like that's always the case. I still try to take care of myself. Um, I, you know, I'm, I still do shut off my phone at times. But there's just weeks like, you know, I mean, I got up at 5.30 this morning to start working. And, um, you know, I had a few hours at dinner and we're still going and that's what it is. And that's what, but I, I don't, I don't think of it as like as work, you know, and that's, mm -hmm. that's the good part of it. Like the, uh, all the traveling I've done over the last two years has, um, which is mostly, you know, I've done some cool stuff for like hunting and fishing, but for the most part, it's trade shows, it's business trips and, um, different things that we've done for the business, you know, meeting with clients and whatnot. And, you know, I've missed, like, I missed my little girl's first steps, uh, for go wild. And, um, you know, there's things like that. Like you can't get it back. I'm never going to forget that I missed it, but I hope at the end of the day, like my kids have something to look back on and say, my dad built that. Like that's, yeah. that's as big a part of it as anything is, um, you know, the, uh, I, j I joke about the whole thing being selfish to answer my needs, but really like it came back to realizing like, oh my God, this is something I love so much. There's so much animosity um, mistargeted to people that hunt and fish, and there's nowhere to really get better at it, and that's a shame. So I wanted to, to build a place that was able to help that grow, uh, help the, the lifestyle grow. And, you know, I hope, um, I hope it turns into something that, you know, one day we got 40 employees working at it, and, uh, you know, there's uh, a good, secure business for for all that team and um you know my, my kids can be proud of it but if uh if the whole thing goes belly up and you know two years later i'm i'm trying to figure out what my next thing is then i i hope my kids can look at it and say like dad had the courage to try like there'll still be lessons out of it um but i definitely picked the harder path if you are looking for more time to hunt don't start a hunting company uh, <laughs> at least a, a hunting tech company people are shocked to hear like they're like, man, you must get offers to hunt all the time. They're like, yeah, I literally do. Um, for whatever reason, I'm not like some influential guy. Like, I don't know what it is. Like, people are like, oh, you have a hunting company? You can come hunt with me anytime you want to. And they don't even know if we could have 12 users on the app. Like, it doesn't – I don't know what it is. It's like people are just super nice in this industry, and they'll invite you to come out to their private farm or whatever it is. And, I, I like, honestly, I do get a lot of that stuff, but the um, – it's it's not the lifestyle I chose is not the uh, the one that's getting me in to to a point to where I can take advantage of a lot of that right now. So, yeah, I yes, I understand. Yeah. It's uh, a yeah, that's the old. That's why I don't want to leave ahead, this Corey. this the seven to four job is because <laughs> you know I I went out in the woods before I went into work today and then I. Yep. Uh, I I go out in the woods after I get home from work, so I'm not ready Listen, for man, those eighty hours. No, weeks. And, and and I don't do that all the time. I, I that's my extreme. Um, but I I definitely <laughs> I work more than most of my office jockey friends. I'll say that. Um, the the uh, there, there's a great story um, I heard from Stephen Ranella. Uh, I haven't listened to this podcast in a long time, but I remember this story um, particularly. He, he talked about there was a fisherman who 
was a guide and 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 this wealthy white businessman comes down and it, it was in a uh, I don't remember the area and this is probably a fictitious story so it's it's trivial but he goes down to this uh this area we'll call it Central America and they're going after you know this very specific type of fish and this guy's the best there is and it's just him though and he's got one boat and this guy comes down and he sees how good this dude is at his craft and uh he lived he lived there with his family and he fished during the day came back came home and and spent time with his wife and kids at night and, and this this businessman's looking at him and he says you know if you really got it together you could turn this into something you you could hire other guides and and the the guide looked at him and says well what then he says well if you had more guides you could make more money he says well what then he said well then you could expand your business you could have infrastructure you could have an office where people come and they check in and you could hire even more guides and you could make more money and and he said well what then and the dude says well with with enough money you could have life slow down and you could do whatever you want you could go fishing all you wanted to and he says well i have that right now and like i i think there's something to that like a a lot of people that i talk to they look at what i get to do and what's ironic and sometimes i tell them and sometimes i don't but um a lot of our members on the platform they get to hunt all the time they get to do what Corey said like they have a really great life that uh, i think a Sometimes we all just need to be like flipped to that opposite perspective to realize like, you know, um, I, I mean, I, I definitely don't think money, money, money's not the driver here for me anyways. Uh, there's a sense of accomplishment and legacy that certainly matters more. Uh, as, honestly, if I made a hundred million dollars tomorrow off of my company, like I'm the kind of guy that would like not leave it to my kids out of spite just to make sure that they, they <laughs> have, like, like, like I, teaching you. Yeah. Like I, I'm, I'm not, I'm going to do like, I'm going to make sure that they have to work hard to build something themselves. Cause there's character in that. And I think, uh, I, but I look at a lot of our members and they say stuff like, Oh man, it must be so awesome to get all these offers. But like, I look at them and I'm like, man, you guys have access to 30 acres or 50 acres or whatever it is. And they hunt all the time and they have so much opportunity. And I do, I mean, life's a seesaw, man. Like you might get more offers or opportunities on something to go, but it doesn't mean you have the time to do it. And if you've got time, like Corey said, like that's time is really the best asset in the world. Like you, you can't buy it. That's the one thing you can't buy. So money Money does have a, um, you know, there's a diminishing point of return where the time you put in to make your money um, goes away. So um, my my hope is that I'm always chasing, like, finding that stability and and hoping that I can get there before my kids are too old. I've, I've done a really good job, um, you know, over the last year was brutal and traveling for Go Wild and all the shows and the, the business travel, and I swore I wasn't going to do that again this year. And then um, the – you know, I, I did trade show season, and then mid mid March, I'm in NWTF, sitting there sanitizing my hands every 30 seconds because of the coronavirus, and and uh, that was the last trip I did. So I, uh, I haven't traveled since then, I don't think. So, in in many ways, I'm kind of like grateful for the silver lining of time with my family because I I had I had uh, March was going to be off, but then I was back on, and I was traveling at least once or twice a month, if not more. So. Man, I've t- I've talked to so many people, and and that's starting to 
to be a, a common response amongst everyone. I think it's it's good. It's it's a reset, almost. Yeah, um, life needed a reset. I mean, I think um, honestly, and if Corey's read any of my <laughs> content or heard any of my podcasts that I've done, like this is my rant. But I don't, I don't think anti hunters killed hunting. I don't think um, it had anything to do with anything like that. I mean, what what killed hunting was losing small game hunting which is like the gateway drug to all this other stuff we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people used to go out and small game hunt for entertainment. And over time, you know, we've, you know, I'm sitting away from like, I've at, within arm's reach, I've got six different devices that can entertain me. We've got Netflix, we've got Fortnite and tr- youth sports. I mean, I, I was talking to one of my, one of my friends, um, he's got, Obviously, he's not this good of a friend because I can't remember. I think he's got four or five kids. But <laughs> we we were on the phone, uh, and I was just we were checking in. And I was like, "How are you doing, man?" And he's like, "Dude, honestly, it's crazy. I've had seventy five events during my week that are gone because of all Holy his kids' shit. crap." Yeah, yeah. I was, no. like, I was like, "Dude, what? I cannot even imagine running that schedule." I mean, I, I've got two young kids right now, so we haven't gotten yeah, into all that. Nuts. But but like that's what killed hunting, and you know, we we we. We've just overbooked ourselves. I mean, my nephews will play like a doubleheader in baseball and then go to a soccer game. And there's no room for th- that in our life anymore. And I do really hope that um, we'll look at how we spend our time differently out of this. I mean, I, I what does it take, 27 days to make a habit? Yeah, we've we've passed that amply. Yeah, yeah. so, um, man, I don't know. Like, I feel busy right now which is what's interesting to me. I've been thinking about this. Like I feel busy right now and I'm like, dude, you're the least busy you've been since 2017. So it, I, 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 if I got thrown back into my schedule that I had in January where I was in New York and Indianapolis and Louisville and then to Chicago and to Vegas. And then I, I went somewhere else. I can't even remember. Like I was, I can't even imagine doing that right now. And I, I, I think whatever, your version of that is, um, you know, I, I feel like it's going to be, I hope we see the clutter when we go back. Yeah. I, I hope it's clear. I mean, you see, I think it's given a lot of time to reflect and find way for new projects and new ideas. And I, it's fosters people's creativity across the, you know, across the generations, which is, which is awesome. I think the, you know, we found out we could educate an entire nation via a computer and they don't yeah. have to, you know, there's certain disadvantages to them not going to, you know, kids not going to school, but there's certain advantages to be like, look at how much time, how more productive or how much other time they're getting to be just a kid Yeah. versus always right. like yeah. here. My, my daughter yeah, my, is done uh, with her schoolwork. My daughter's done with her schoolwork in like the first, you know, two hours of the day, and the rest of the day, all three of my kids are outside playing. They're just, you know, yeah, playing in the woods down by the stream. We caught some crayfish the other day. You know, that it's it's been good. My daughter yeah. asks me to go fishing every day. She's like, she's done with school by, uh, she's done with school by two. Uh, she's got like a morning chunk and a, an hour in the afternoon and you know depending on if I have to go into work or I'm working from home like I'm done by 3:30 or so and she's like 
let's go fishing, Dad. Well, you know, now's the perfect time of day or time of the year because it doesn't get dark till 7.30, so we can go squeeze a couple hours of fishing in or, you know, shooting our bows in the garage or, you know, whatever. And it's like normally we would be caught in that cycle of, all right, pick up from school. All right, come home, get snack. All right, is it violin time? Is it time for karate? Is it time for this? Like, what's going on? Oh, I need to squeeze an hour in so I can readjust my mental clock so I don't lose it tomorrow. And, man. um, Well, for the record, I'm still having moments of, like, I might lose it. I'm not saying it's all (laughs) Oh, no, that hasn't changed. (laughs) Yeah. There's definitely moments where my wife and I have wished we could pawn them off on teachers. God oh, bless yeah. our teachers. <laughs> we were just we were just talking today. We we're like, school's over at the end of May. Like, what are we gonna do? <laughs> we yeah. have two two more months until uh, we my, could send them back. <laughs> my kids are young enough to uh, to where school is like I don't know. My wife does something with them for forty five minutes to an hour. My daughter just like too young for anything, but. It's helped her. I mean, her speech, you know, she's young, and um, her speech has come along, like, just since this all – I mean, literally since it started. I think of us being home and her getting nonstop someone talking to her instead of, uh, you know, you're trying to squeeze all this stuff in and, you know, doing laundry and stuff and trying to rush it in before you got to go pick up the other one at school. I think, like, definitely it's different, and I would encourage anybody that's listening to this to be thoughtful about what you put back into your life. Yeah, it's, you have you have two young ones, right, Brad? Yeah, d- yep, yes, sir. Have Have you started taking them out, doing things? Yeah, I um. So my son has seen literally everything I've killed since he's been alive. So like, there's there's that level of exposure that you know we talk a lot at my house about where stuff comes from. I don't want him to be a mindless consumer and um. He he will ask at dinner, like, what it is, and he doesn't want to know, like, steak. He's very interested in what animal died so that we can eat. And um, I've kind of started him there on, on just, like, recognition of, you know, what protein we're eating. And I'm happy with, like, his awareness of that. And, you know, I, I mean, for God's sakes, it's not, like, I as a – at his age, I don't even know if I knew a hamburger was an animal, you know, but he, uh, he thinks through all of that. And, um, I think that's like a really good place to expose kids because they already are eating every day. And some, like some point it's not hard to tie in, like even chicken, you know, you, you know, farm animals, there's a chicken. Well, this is also chicken. Like you can start to introduce that. I don't think like you don't have to dive into the fact that like I am shooting this thing that you're eating. Like you can kind of ease into it, um, for more of like this premise that we eat things that were once alive. And that's where I've started with my kids. Um, you know, Walter as a, as a kid, uh, you know, he, he saw, um, you know, first time I shot a deer and it was like, no doubt. He didn't really understand what's going on next year. It's like a little more interested in it kind of cool that this thing's dead in front of me and now like <laughs> you know uh it came out the other day um and i'd shot a turkey and i have it hanging from a tree and i'm plucking it and he's asking all the questions he's it's like every which way wanting to know 
Where did you shoot it? What killed it? Like when you shoot it, what happens? Did you shoot it in the face? Uh, you know, and like literally to the point to where it's like, okay, maybe you're getting a little too interested in death. But um, no, I, uh, I, I've exposed him that way. He's, I still, you know, for taking him hunting, uh, I know a lot of people take their kids turkey hunting. I kind of want to approach it of getting him interested and letting him decide because uh, with fishing – this is funny that I did this, but I like kind of scarred him with insisting that he go fishing. He was really hesitant to it. And we went bluegill fishing and, uh, at a pond, like for what anybody would almost do with a, a, he was probably two or three. I think he was like two and a half, three. Um, and it's three. And so we take him and we're fishing on a pond and there's a sidewalk that goes all the way around it. And there's this one spot to where I know there's just like, bluegill city right i can throw down and if you're you're almost guaranteed a bite within 15 seconds of it hitting the water it's just a great hole for bluegill and and plus nobody fishes them so we're but we're elevated all right so we're three feet above the water because the sidewalk kind of raises up and goes around the the bend at the end of the pond well we got his little uh, paw patrol fishing pole throw it in there and we get we get a bite and i'm like all right buddy we're gonna reel it in he hands it to me so i reel it in i'm showing him how to do it a couple times and i pop it to get it up over the three foot gap to the sidewalk well honestly i would have been terrified too with a bluegill flying at my face oh, at no. the rate yeah so like i scarred him dude like he he oh. was in he was already unsure about this idea that like i'm taking a worm i'm killing the worm i'm putting it in the water and now something's going to bite it, and it's going to come out. Like, he had already worked all this out and knew it was going to be weird. And, like, for him, I'm obviously not saying fishing is weird. But he he was unsure, and I made him do it. And then he was validated that this was not something he wanted to do when a fish came flying out of the water like that. So um, I lost him that whole trip, that whole summer. He wouldn't do it again. And... uh and I think part of it is that he was so adamant that he wasn't sure about it of like, like, I don't know. And then it was scary, but the next year he still talked about the flying fish and we did, we just didn't fish last year. And then this year I've already actually, since the pandemic hit, we've been out twice and he's really, he enjoyed it a lot the first time he like sat in his chair and watched a bobber. Um, we didn't get anything, but it was fun. We were fishing at my buddy's pond. And then this last time we went out and um, I was trying to show him that he was getting bites and I, for whatever reason, we didn't get anything, but he was like wandering around touching sticks. Like there's all this sensory exposure to uh, oh, yeah. of him getting dirty and, and like, that's great at that, that age. So uh, we rolled with it and I don't know, man, I haven't like, I haven't come up with a hard rule or like, Oh, you got to introduce him at this age or whatever it is. Like I'm more of educating him on, what I do show exposing him to it. And I know him well enough to understand that like once he gets into something and starts asking questions, he's going to want to do it. Um, it's just like me playing guitar at first. It like, I remember like he used to not like it cause it was loud and then you get around it and you're used to it. And now it's like literally, well, I, if he's in the backyard playing, he's like, Hey, will you come out and play guitar while we play in the playhouse? Like he likes it now. So, um, I oh, feel like, fun. yeah, I feel like he's going to come around to, to, um, to it overall. My daughter's super young, so, and still fairly incommunicative. I mean, she could talk. She's actually, 
come around a lot over the last couple of months, but um, not at all to a point to where she's like, hey, take me fishing. We're not there yet. So <laughs> Having three kids trying to take them all fishing at once is a bit of a challenge and it, it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't end up being a fishing trip it ends up being something else so i try to yeah. take them one at one at a time and my daughter she's the oldest i think she enjoys it the most and my son would rather play in the rocks and mud which is fine but so <laughs> i take my i end up taking my daughter yeah. more often yeah, so, I, th- I think um, I think letting them play in the rocks and the mud is important because if you start coaching them into like, no, this is what we're here to do, you just made it something they don't, they aren't likely to come around to anyways. You know, it's not now it's school. You know, I need to get better at that. I, I, I have a singular mind sometimes, especially when I'm trout fishing or something, and like, hey, get up here and do it like this. You got to do it like this if you want to catch the fish, and then that's how I turn my wife off of fishing. Like, I, like in my mind, you have fun when you catch the fish. Like, that's that's the most fun of going fishing. So I want to get you in the spot and get you catch a fish so you can have fun. But for my wife, it wasn't about catching the fish. It was about enjoying outside and, you know, being with me or, or whatever it was. And then I just pushed her so much. She hasn't gone fishing with me since we've been married because while we were dating... I push too hard, so I'm trying so hard not to do that with my kids, but it's still, uh, pro, you know, I, still, still learning. I yeah. just, I, I just go into it with the mentality that I'm, I'm probably not gonna catch any fish, and it's just there to, to do whatever. Like me personally, I count myself as not fishing that day, and it's sort of just like whatever she wants it to be. We went out the other day on the dock. I had a bag of shrimps, uh, shrimps, bag of shrimp. Um, and, uh, you know, after 10 minutes, like she was, she was off on the rocks, but I just kept fishing with her pole and she would come back and be like, Oh, are are you still fishing? Are you catching fish? And she'd come back and watch the fish nibble at the hook or, you know, back and forth. Like she was still enjoying it enough to keep it going. But if I'd have been like, all right, we're going home because you're not fishing. She would have been super upset. And it would have been a moment of like, well, now our day of fishing is ruined from her perspective, even though she wasn't actively fishing. Yeah, I think I think for me, like realizing that my son is curious about everything because he's not like. I know when he wanders off and starts flipping rocks, what's likely to be under there. Right. But he doesn't. He's never done that. Like you, Mm -hmm. you have to realize that their brains are being exposed to so much stuff that they've never seen before. And like me coming around to that's really helped me of, of kind of trying to get in the mindset of what is going through their mind and, and all of the curiosity that exists in a kid that age. Like, I don't, I don't have that same curiosity to go. I don't need to go flip the rocks over. Cause I'm, I'm like, okay, you might find a crawdad. There could be nothing like that's pretty much it for me. But for him, he wants to like l- literally, dig into everything that's in sight and that natural curiosity is going to pull him away from what I'm doing but it's the same natural curiosity that pulls him away from you know right right now while we're trying to do schoolwork he gets curious about you know he starts asking questions about some random thing that he thought of three days ago and he just remembered and 
their minds just wander totally different. Brad, what's the best way for people to uh, get involved with the Go Wild app? You uh, so so we are on Android and iOS, so iPhone. So you can download us in the App Store, and when you download it, you will get um, you know the the nerd calls it onboarding. You're getting onboarded to the app, and what'll happen is you'll, you you uh, as as I think Colin mentioned here earlier, you know you'll you'll get a automated direct message from me, and that happens you know within a certain time period of downloading it, but. That's the yeah, I think it was about a day. Yeah, so that's how you're going to find me. When you get that message, if you got – I would love to know um, if you heard of the app through this podcast. You know, a lot of people come and be like, hey, I heard you on Bo Martonic's podcast or whatever it is. So that's always cool to know where people heard it from. Um, but also just if you have questions or you want to ask for feedback or you have uh, – whatever it is, you know, I'd love to hear from people because I do read all those and I do literally reply to them. My team would tell you I'm still insane for um, talking to literally like hundreds of DMs a day sometimes, but um, I do. And um, I, I, it's really me. Like it's not somebody I pay to go through and, and monitor all that. So uh, that's the best way to get in touch. I, uh, I'm on all the other, well, I'm not on all of them. I'm on I'm on uh, Instagram. That's the one I'll, I guess I'll promote. Um, and it's Brad Luttrell, B R A D L U T T R E L L. And then Go Wild is on Facebook, Instagram. We have a Twitter, which I don't know why you would do that. Uh, Go Wild. <laughs> it's Go Wild app. So just all one word everywhere, and um, you can find us there. So um, I'm on Twitter too, but I literally just use it. I, I realized the other day that I. I treat my Twitter like a closet. I just go and shout things and then like close the door and walk away and never check on it again. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's literally a dumpster fire. But um, if you're interested in dad rants and uh, startup woes, I, I tweet too. So, <laughs> um, Do you have any last, uh, last thoughts for us? No, man. This was great. I, you guys ran a really good show. I do, um, I do a lot of these and – uh, there are various levels of quality. So the the bare minimum is the guy that bought uh, a mic set up on Amazon and you're you're like early in the show and they they have a structured set of questions and you have to be done at this exact time because it's like we're gonna run a one hour podcast and this is it and I'm gonna ask you these questions and I don't I don't wanna ask follow up. Like it's very structured and you can tell they're very beginner. Like I've done a lot of those Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's this, there's this Belker or like this progress. And for as early as you guys are in, you're very far. Like this was, this was great. Very casual conversation. Um, you guys did some homework and I, it was easy to talk to. And I love that we were an hour deep before we even talked about the, the app. So, um, <laughs> a lot of time, I mean, usually I show up and people are like, so tell tell us why you made the go wild app. And I'm like, well, okay. That's <laughs> what I told so. Justin. I was like, we got to do our homework. We got to. We gotta put our best foot forward for Brad. He knows what he's doing. So, <laughs> well, I I have um, probably from my own soliciting, but I've done a lot of shows, and you know it makes sense. Like you have the startup. There aren't a whole lot of like tech startup guys in the hunting industry, um, so often like interviews dive into that, and I don't know. It's fun to talk about food and hunting with you guys and bs around so i appreciate it uh, i'm gonna check out some of the shows it sounds like you guys are running a fun show here yeah thank you i appreciate it 
Uh, it was awesome. It was awesome having you on. Uh, Colin, you have any thoughts? Hey, not much. Just wanted to say thanks to Brad again for coming on and uh, I mean, talking about all of his experiences and sharing his experiences behind uh, foundation of the app. Um, touched on a sore subject of turkey hunting again because I wasn't able to go <laughs> punch my uh, tag again. I think that's what the fourth fourth show in a row that we've touched on that so thanks justin uh just think about it uh, every show that you haven't been on and i have it's come up in conversation so (laughs) oh good that's good to know i'm glad i I hate to tell you this but it'll be there until next turkey season too so it's not like this goes away with turkey season (laughs) (laughs) thanks brad thanks for the support um and uh i'm i'm not a big like social media guy uh i have an instagram but i'm not really active on it that much and uh i don't have a facebook or anything but i'm definitely looking forward to exploring more of what go wild has to offer it sounds like a pretty uh a, a pretty open environment where i'm not going to get annoyed by people posting dumb stuff it's going to be stuff that i'm interested in so i'm looking uh looking forward to exploring it a little bit more what's, thanks man what's funny about our platform is if um you know, every now and then, I mean, I, I can't control what people post. Every now and then you get some Yahoo going off about politics one way or another. And people yeah. people will, our community will actually jump on them and be like, dude, get that crap out of here. This is the last, <laughs> this is the last social media account I have. This is not riddled with crap. So, um, yeah. it's, it sounds like the right spot. <laughs> it stays pretty true to, you know, whatever forum you're in. So I, I think, uh, you know, if you, if you're li- tuning into the show and listening to these guys, you, you'll definitely enjoy it. So give Give it a try. Yeah, for sure. I think Corey just accepted my friend request, so that's good. Oh, nice. We got one follower. Nice. Well, you'll have you'll have two. Uh... <laughs> All right. Cool. Hey, uh, Corey. Uh, last comments. I just want to thank Brad again, and it's great talking to you. It's always a pleasure talking to you, and we haven't worked together in a little while, but it's always it's always fun to do that. Well, I appreciate you guys inviting me uh, inviting me into this as I. I think uh, we're going to run something at Justin's uh, blog that he he or an article I guess that he he wrote recently, and I was telling Erica, uh, our director of marketing creative, I was like, I have known these guys since the very beginning. <laughs> I think we, um, you know, we were trying to figure out what we we're going to do with the app, and one thing we had an idea around was giveaways that we do um, giveaways with the app to keep people coming back, and I think we did one with you guys like way back when when you first came out with some uh, hunter orange yeah yeah the blaze yeah. the blaze hats yep yeah. i remember that yeah we we're just talking about yeah those. i was telling her i was like they were i think I, maybe i didn't put it in the email but i don't know i think i was telling her that uh you guys are one of the first ones we did when when i think we were still doing them on instagram because we didn't have an app yet we were still just trying to grow yeah a, yeah, yeah so i think that yeah um, that was it and actually the pictures colin i sent you were pictures that brad took and sent to me with the hats nice. <laughs> yeah <Nice. laughs> that's funny that's funny man um yeah, so I mean, it's it's cool to get to get on here and talk to you guys. Um, long admired what you're doing with with your brand, so um, keep it up. And um, you know, I, like I said, you, you know, one article from from Corey completely reshaped how I <laughs> store my wild game. So I mean, you, you know, you never know who's impacted by just yep. a single piece of work. So keep keep doing what you're doing. I'm, I'm thanks, flattered. man. I really appreciate it. Uh, just a reminder. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm really happy you're on and glad we got the chance to talk and uh just a reminder for everyone all our show notes are available uh on all the different podcast platforms. Uh any recipes we talked about tonight and uh if you get a chance uh go subscribe. <laughs>